2: Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, September 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, two Democratic candidates for state office are announcing their plans to work together to protect elections. Then the state's largest educator association has filed an amicus brief for a case that alleges state funds were illegally sent to private schools. Plus, a life insurance policy locator is helping to recover millions of dollars in unclaimed property for Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Democratic candidates for Mississippi Attorney General and Secretary of State are touting a new plan to improve election standards and voting rights if they're elected. The November general election is in two months. Both candidates say they are making ways for the offices to work together and take action to protect voting rights. Ty Pickens is the newly chosen Democratic candidate for secretary of state. He says a number of laws in Mississippi, some long established, others newly passed, create obstacles to voting.
1: They denied us online voter registration and early voting and made absentee voting so cumbersome and burdensome that the average person is confused. But the gravest sin They robbed us of the ballot initiative. While I can't draft voting laws as Secretary of State, I'll be the sentinel ensuring the fair application of our current laws. I promise to shine a spotlight on every injustice, such as the recent Senate Bill 2358, which took away the rights of our elderly and disabled citizens to determine who helps them vote or the Mississippi felony disenfranchisement law instituted expressly for racist purposes, which were recently and long last toppled by the courts. And let's not forget HB 1020, an affront to Jacksonians, making them the only people in the state subject to unelected judges. Voting is our sacred right as Americans, for every citizen, our vote is the most valuable currency that we own. Why do our state leaders insist on devaluing that currency?
2: Republican incumbent Secretary of State Michael Watson, who is seeking reelection in the race against Pinkins, recently told reporters he supports reviving the ballot initiative process. But he says the new system should have a higher signature threshold to dim the influence of outside groups. In 2021, the Mississippi Supreme Court ruled the ballot initiative process outdated and no longer valid. Lawmakers drafted legislation to restore the process, but the bill died. Pinkin says many of the changes being proposed would weaken the decisions made by voters. Greta Kemp Martin, Democratic candidate for attorney general, says a restored ballot initiative process should be free of restrictions.
3: Mississippians deserve a ballot initiative process, period. And they deserve one free of any conditions. I think the closest our legislature uh, became to uh, reinstating the ballot initiative process, they wanted to put a condition in that the the initiatives couldn't uh, be regarding abortion. And so I I think it's very telling of our state leaders that they are keeping Mississippians away from, not only from being able to place initiatives on the ballot, but trying to shape what initiatives get on the ballot. And it's very telling. And I think at the end of the day, it's because our leaders know that Mississippians want these things.
2: Martin says she would also use the office to ensure voting rights are protected.
3: A true people's lawyer should initiate thorough investigations into any allegation of voter suppression, violations of voting rights, or restrictions on ballot access. It's time to elect an AG who isn't scared to fight these battles in a courtroom. Mississippians need a real lawyer, and that just happens to be my specialty. However, a good attorney knows when to stop when the court gets it right. So dismissing an appeal that would rip voting rights away from Mississippians who have served their sentences is a no-brainer.
2: Pinkins and Kemp Martin claim a lack of cooperation between the offices has led to a situation today where both voting rights and the integrity of elections in Mississippi have suffered. Martin says if elected, they will create a partnership between their offices.
3: Ty Pinkins and I are ready to roll up our sleeves and get to work, not for a party, not for a big dollar donation check, not for notoriety or ambition, but for the people of Mississippi. The right to vote is precious, it's a principle that I hold dear, and I am wholeheartedly dedicated to ensuring that no eligible voter is unjustly denied their sacred right to cast their ballot. Together with Ty Pinkins as our Secretary of State, we will work tirelessly to uphold the sanctity of our elections and protect the voices of every Mississippian.
2: Greta Kemp Martin is the Democratic nominee for attorney general. She will be facing incumbent Republican Lynn Fitch in the November election. Coming up, the state's largest educator association has filed an amicus brief for a case that alleges state funds were illegally sent to private schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.
4: MPB Think Radio. Whatever your taste. News, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city. Gulfport, Fernando, Meridian, Greenville. However you want. Radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Education advocates, both national and state, have filed an amicus brief in favor of a case that alleges the Mississippi legislature wrongfully sent coronavirus relief dollars to private schools. Groups who signed on include the Mississippi Association of Educators and the nonprofit Public Funds for Public Schools. The lawsuit was filed earlier this year by the ACLU on behalf of parents. public schools. A Mississippi trial court ruled last year the private school grants violate Article 7, Section 208 of the Mississippi Constitution, which prohibits public funding of private schools and halted the program. The case is now on appeal to the Mississippi Supreme Court. Our Will Stribling speaks with Attorney Joshua Tom with the ACLU of Mississippi. He says they're hopeful the amicus brief can help their case move forward.
5: The Mississippi Constitution has a very clear and explicit provision that prevents, uh, public funds going to private schools. When the Mississippi legislature last year sent $10 million exclusively to private schools, you know, it was a clear violation of this constitutional provision. Uh, And so, you know, we, uh, sued uh, on behalf of our clients, Parents for Public Schools, And at the trial court, one, we argued and the trial court agreed that the Constitution is clear. You can't give public funds to private schools. That's the legislature did, and that violated the Mississippi's Constitution. Um, On appeal, you know, we have a strong argument just as we did at the trial courts.
4: I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, how this this case is a microcosm of a larger movement. You know, in the amicus brief, it talks about how similar efforts – have been deemed unconstitutional in in a couple other states that that had similar provisions in their constitution. But uh, in in Mississippi and elsewhere, there is this school choice movement, you know, whether it be like secret state of state. Michael Watson recently, for example, signaled that uh, legislation that would allow, you know, public school dollars to fo- follow kids to, to non-public schools is an issue that the the legislature is going to visit in the future. And so I just want you to speak a bit about how this is a larger movement and is going to continue despite, you know, it running afoul of the Constitution here and, and elsewhere.
5: There are organizations like the Mid-South Association of Independent Schools um, across the country and in Mississippi and surrounding regions that are trying to get Um, as much money as possible to go to uh, private schools. And that includes uh, in states that prevent public funds going to private schools. You know, there are all sorts of efforts um, at various levels to, you know, either circumvent or strike down any type of ban that prevents money going to private schools. And that includes private religious schools. You know, those efforts are in Mississippi and, you know, across the country.
4: Mississippi, right? and I'm just asking your opinion as a, a legal expert here. There's just no way to circumvent the plain language of the Constitution, right? They're, they're, they have to. They would have to, uh, you know, pass a constitutional amendment to be able to get any sort of public dollars uh, into into private schools in Mississippi, and without you know that being challenged and, and overturned by the courts.
5: This specific issue has you know, not been squarely decided by the Mississippi Supreme Court. And, you know, we think it's clear that the Mississippi Constitution prevents public funds going to private schools. Uh, the text of the Constitution is clear. Um, the history and intent of the Constitution is clear. That public funds should not go to private schools. And, you know, that's what we're arguing to the Supreme Court. And we, you know, are confident the Supreme Court will see it the same way. Yeah,
4: and can you explain to me the their argument that uh, you know Association of Independent Schools that it's you know I read that in the amicus brief they said that it was you know anti anti Catholic in nature and that just uh, I just don't understand how that makes any sense. So can you explain the the, the legal reasoning there?
5: Well, I mean, they're take the view that. A lot of these provisions that prevented public funds going to private schools and going to religious schools uh, was part of a nationwide movement, you know, a hundred or so years ago that was born out of religious animus against Catholics. And, you know, in order to prevent money going to Catholic churches and Catholic schools based on this, you know, supposed animus, you know, states across the country passed these bans in their constitution that prevented money going to uh, religious schools. And so MAIS is arguing that the Mississippi constitution similarly prevents public money going to private schools uh, based on religious animus. And that would you know, raise U.S. constitutional concerns. And so they are arguing that the Mississippi constitution violates the federal constitution because of the religious animus, which um, gave rise to these uh, bans on public funds going to religious schools.
4: Yeah, I thought it was interesting in the amicus brief that a rebuff to that y'all cited, well, it was cited, uh, the, the Dobbs decision was decided that you can't that you may be be able to argue that a specific legislature or set of legislators that that passed that constitutional amendment had you know anti-Catholic beliefs that you can't then, then place that over the you know assume that the entire legislature felt that way. You talk about that. I just thought that it was it was interesting that 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 case is, is so recent that it was it was cited here.
5: Bob, um, I can't. I'm I'm not sure of the quote that that you're you're speaking of. Um, so I can't necessarily speak to that, but. There is a Supreme Court case that was decades, if not 100 years old, that talks about the legislative history and the legislative intent of this provision of the Mississippi Constitution, which prevents public funds going to private schools. In that decision, it just talks about uh, the need for those public funds going to public schools. The intent was to prevent public funds uh, going to private schools. There's there's no mention at all of any type of uh, anti-Catholic or other religious animus. Do you have any idea of like a time
4: window and when the the Supreme Court's going to going to going to hear this case
5: or this appeal? You know, I, I really don't. We requested oral argument, so hopefully they will give us that. And so, you know, to the extent they do, we'll have oral argument, and then it will be up to the court to decide. If they deny oral argument, you know, I guess the time frame gets a little bit quicker.
2: Joshua Tom is an attorney with the ACLU of Mississippi. Coming up, a life insurance policy locator is helping to recover millions of dollars in unclaimed property for Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio
6: on the next Chalkboard Chat podcast episode.
1: And today, I'm super excited to be talking to Mississippi's Secretary of State, Michael Watson, about his student ambassador program.
0: Having that opportunity to build those relationships is something I do not take for granted, and I'm really excited about that, through the ambassador
1: program.
6: To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app to listen on your iPhone or Android
1: device.
2: Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer, too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Millions of dollars are lost each year when life insurance policies go unclaimed because they were forgotten or never disclosed to beneficiaries. The Mississippi Insurance Department is working with other states to help folks find those missing plans and claim the benefits they should receive. Our Kobe Vance speaks with State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney about the online tool called the Insurance Policy Locator.
0: Well, if Mississippians do not know about the life insurance locator and someone dies and they're a beneficiary uh, and can't find the policy, that money accrues to the state of Mississippi as lost money. And it goes to the state treasurer, and they try to find folks, and normally they can't find the beneficiaries because they don't have the name. So what we did with the locators since 2016 Uh, was to put it online and it's through the National Association of Insurance Commissioners and allows policyholders to find out if their mother or father or relative of someone else may have had an insurance policy and who the beneficiary was.
6: What kind of uh, things are people looking for on there? And how can that tool be used to identify policies that people might have forgotten about or just can't find the paperwork on?
0: Well, it's real simple. You you can go in, you can put a Social Security number of the deceased, or you can put the name of the company you think they had insurance with. And the way you do that, you may search the bank records of someone that's deceased to see if they had a bank draft or were writing checks for a life insurance policy. Or you may have the Social Security number. And normally the Social Security number works very well because there's something called the death master list when someone dies. And a death certificate is issued. Those numbers are exchanged with the federal government for Medicare purposes and Social Security purposes. So somebody doesn't keep getting checks year after year um, for Social Security or other other federal benefits. And you can find out if someone has died, and that, that's usually done within a couple of weeks after someone is deceased. And um, you can look that up and see if they had a policy and who the beneficiary may be.
6: Would you say this is a good starting point for somebody who doesn't know if their loved one had a life insurance policy, uh, or do you think this is something that people should hold off on until they've exhausted resources and have not come up with anything?
0: Uh, I I think it's something you should do. If you don't know the agent or you don't know who sold or parent a policy or you can't find it, then you should use it. If you find the policy, normally you can call the company or the agent and they'll take care of things. But... A lot of times when people are going through a distressed period of time, very emotional period of time after someone's passing, uh, they may forget what needs to be done. So this ends up being a pretty good tool for someone that can't find a policy or find the agent that may have sold a parent or a loved one a policy.
6: I imagine these, policy po- these policies are also purchased over someone's lifetime, and you know they can have multiple policies potentially, and the paperwork just sometimes gets lost. I imagine this is a good tool for people that are facing that dilemma.
0: And companies buy up other companies, and names change. So you may, you may think you had a policy with XYZ Company, and ABC Company bought them out 20 years ago. And it was on, the policy may be on a bank draft, and it doesn't change anything on the bank draft. It's just a number. So the policy locator helps someone find uh, those that coverage. What's been uh, unusual to us? We started an educational program very quietly among agents to let people know about lost policies and the locator. And during the last year, we've located thirty-six million dollars for consumers in our state using the locator of life insurance proceeds that would normally have accrued to the state of Mississippi as lost property. So we've we've taken care of a lot of citizens uh, that would not have received that money if they did not have the locator.
6: As insurance commissioner, what do you think this money means for people who have lost loved ones and are, are struggling to get by? Maybe they lost somebody that's close and they were dependent on, or they have a loved one and they're having to deal with the financial aftermath of someone's death, which can be expensive.
0: The main thing this does is if someone meets final expense uh, to pay final expenses on, on someone's life, this locator works very well. Uh, it also makes a difference in the intent of the person that had the insurance and what they wanted the insurance proceeds to be used for usually is for uh, the benefit of their family or some family member or close friend or relative. So it helps alleviate a lot of worry about the future. Uh, It leaves uh, some type of nest egg. Uh, Maybe you don't have a big estate, but this is the biggest part of your estate, and it helps your family out, especially if you have young children just starting out. It may help them out, and it's very crucial in today's economy.
6: Do you have any advice for people who have their own life insurance policies right now, and they want to make sure that it's accessible for their loved ones once they do pass?
0: Everyone should have a list of um, where they. if they have a will, you should have a will, where it's located, where your passwords to computers are, especially older folks who may be in the early stages of dementia. That needs to be written down when you think about it. Uh, If you have a living will, things like that need to be written down. So do you want to be kept alive uh, when you're in uh, Comistow State or you just want to be made comfortable uh, at a hospice? There's a whole litany of things like that, and we're about to start an educational system on our webpage at the department for people to know what to do uh, if you're over 65 or even if you're over 50, and things that you really need to make certain that a loved one knows where everything's located in case you die. You don't have to give them a copy of the will, just need to tell them, because sometimes people say, well, you didn't leave me what I thought you should leave me, but that's that's, that's somebody else's decision. You just need a list of things that you really need to make certain that someone close to you, uh, whether it's a lawyer or a family member or a close friend, knows where all of these things are located.
6: And then lastly, you know, if people are wanting to learn more, you mentioned earlier that y'all are working on some educational opportunities. Where can people turn to right now if they have questions about life insurance, whether it be for themselves and if they could, should get a policy, the policy they currently have, or the policies that loved ones may have had?
0: Well, you know, this sounds strange coming from a regulator, but I would say go to, go to your webpage and use artificial intelligence, chat GPT, and say, what should I have for my loved ones in case uh, I die? What type of information should I leave for them to know about now?
6: Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you talking with us. Thank you.
2: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.